let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good call. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. And welcome to Under Review. I'm Greg. He's Steve. And we're welcoming on my boy Drew Way to the show. Drew Way, how you been, man? I've been good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, man. Pretty good. Pretty good. Are you enjoying your uh, your sum- your uh, start of the summer yet? Yeah, so far so good. My son turned one yesterday. And so we had some friends. Uh, so we had, to, yeah, we had some friends over Saturday for a party and then family over yesterday. And I'm actually off from work today because I got to take him to his one-year doctor appointment. He's currently sitting in my arms eating a bottle right now. So yeah, nice. it's the summer. <laughs> nice. Um, but to, to all the listeners, apologies in advance. You will be hearing random uh, guest appearances from my son here as he is one and a lot of baby talk and babbling as he's going to be sitting here sort of playing in the background while I'm doing this. So <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. That's okay. Um, so- so one thing we like to do on the show is everyone that comes on, we try to get uh, a couple of minutes about them and how they kind of became a Ranger fan. So if you would do us that honor and just kind of you know, give us your first take on when you became a Ranger fan, how that came about and why you're so sunken into this team. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if I would say do you the honor of it, but uh, um, yeah, I'm kind of your typical story of I, I'm a Ranger fan because I was born into it. My father growing up was a season ticket holder for the Rangers uh, so I grew up going to the games all the time. Uh, the first one of the first sports memories I have um, was watching the 1994 Stanley Cup with him. Um, so, you know, I was born in 88. So I was what, six years old at the time. And I remember being mesmerized by Sergei Zuboff as a kid. And first time I ever had my heart broken by a sports team was when they fucking traded Zuboff the, pretty much the next year. Um, still not over that, but that's topic for another day. But yeah, I was born into it. My father was a huge Ranger fan, and so naturally I became a huge Ranger fan. And my son already has some Ranger stuff. Um, my, uh, my wife actually has a, a relative who works for the Rangers. Um, and when we announced that we were pregnant, he got a little custom Adam Graves jersey because Graves was one of my favorite players as a kid. So Declan already has a little Adam Graves New York Rangers jersey. That's pretty dope, actually. That's yeah. pretty cool. So what's your, um, I mean, for me, I, I'm a little bit older than you. So my, um, my best memory for the Rangers was obviously the 94 season. Um, cause I was, I was, you know, 13, 14 at the time. So like, I really remember that season very well. What's your, um, I don't know how well you can remember at six, but what's your best memory so far? I mean, what I was, some memories were as a kid around six years old. And so just, you know, I wasn't old enough to appreciate it, but I was old enough to know that like, wow, like my dad's really happy and this is really cool. Um, so, it's, I mean, that was fun. Um, you know, the cup run against the Kings was great. Um, you know, I don't think that team actually was particularly that good. I mean, obviously they were good, but I didn't anticipate them to make a cup run that year. Um, and, you know, hey, that's what happens when you have Henrik Lundqvist in goal, right? Uh, so, I mean, that was great. Um, obviously, the way they lost in the cup final sucked, and the fact that the officials fucking sucked, you know, made it extra difficult. Um but, you know, a lot of really my best memories as a Ranger fan are just growing up and going to the games all the time with my dad and stuff like that. You know, no real particular moment. Just being at MSG, like with my dad as a kid and stuff like that um, is, is really what helped 
you know, foster my Ranger fandom and, and are the memories I look back on the best. And then, you know, along the way, like getting to go to games with certain people for the first time. Like the first time I went to a Ranger game with my wife was, you know, a great experience and stuff like that. Um, so I remember, and one time, uh, another great memory was a friend of mine, he got corporate tickets. So we were down in like the fifth row and they were playing the Bruins. And that's when it really opened my eyes as to how much shit Brad Marchand talks all day long. Cause we were close enough to be like, we hear the things the players are saying on the ice and the whole time Marchand was just chirping and chirping and chirping. And it was hilarious. Yeah. That, that does not surprise me at all. I mean, every, every you know, any playoff game I watch, he's, you know, he's always, he's always, he's always got his mouth open. Yeah. And, and it's all, it was like the most random stuff too. Like he wasn't sitting there like cursing at guys. He was just, I remember one thing he, he literally did the like, Hey, your skates are untied thing to sell it at one point. Like he just, he always <laughs> just has something to say. And it's not, and it, most of it he was saying, wasn't that nasty or anything. He just always had something to say. It was hilarious. Yeah, it's it's like it's like that ultimate like you know um, instigator. It's just like always just trying to poke the bear, like just trying to get you all riled up. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, you can definitely tell that he was targeting like certain things with certain players. Like this was a few years ago now, so I don't quite remember exactly what the things he was saying, but I, I do recall thinking like, oh, he definitely knows like certain you know touch points or some of the because he kept repeating them at them. It's funny you mentioned Brad Marsh and just like just real quickly on him, you know. I, Every if, if if you're not a fan of the Boston Bruins, you hate him. But if you're a Boston Bruins fan, you love him. You know, he he's that kind of guy where you know he's 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 highly skilled, puts up a ton of points, and just and gets under the skin of of the opposing team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know he's he's kind of like a rich man Sean Avery. Like he's Sean Avery if Sean Avery actually was talented. Yes, exactly. If if Sean Avery wasn't was an elite player, it would be Brad Marchand. So, so um, yeah. What, what do you want to get going with now? Yeah. So let's let let's let's move on to uh, basically the, the the biggest topic in 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 you know Ranger Twitter right now, which is obviously the second overall pick, which is you know this Jack Hughes, Kako, Kako, you know like all this talk. So Kako Hughes, I, I think I think there are a lot of Ranger fans out there that are nervous that the Devils actually might take Kako one. So I just want you to kind of you can go off on your little rant. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous to be nervous, Stephen. I'm sorry if I'm keep cutting you off here, but um, it's ridiculous if uh, fans are nervous for the Devils to take Kako. I mean, listen, uh, I have no issue with anyone if they have Kapo Kako first overall in their rankings. Uh, my final ranks will publish next week on Tuesday. I'm hoping, and you know, I will have Hughes one, Kako two. But as you guys know, I'm big advocate of tiers. And my tiers are far more important than the actual numeric ranks. And Kako and Hughes, I both have on tier one by themselves. They're true 1A, 1B. I can't fault anyone for preferring one over the other. Um, if Kako is there for the Rangers at two, great. Hughes is there for the Rangers at two, great. And, um, you know, one kind of thing that uh, Greg Kaplan on the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast brought up when I was chatting with him, he's like, hey, if Hughes is there too, not only do you get, you know, a potential generation, you know, I don't, I don't like using the term generational, but you have an elite center prospect at two, but you also have an elite center prospect who's probably going to be pissed off because he's been the presumptive number one pick for three years now, then all of a sudden dropping to two. So now he's going to have a chip on his shoulder on top of all the talent that he possesses. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Um, I think that's where I actually heard that that take. It's from Greg, and I and I I brought it on our show as well. And I think it's it's an outstanding point of view is that you're getting that elite talent that 
has has a you know especially and also when he plays New Jersey he's going to have a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder too. It's going to be I was the number one overall pick for many years. Everyone thought I was a generational kid with you know high upside franchise center, and you're going to snub me because this guy had a good two week tournament and you didn't believe in me. Now, well then screw you. I'm going to really turn it. So to to think you don't want a guy with that kind of potential with something to prove a little bit of edge and you know mentally to his game is is stupid. Like the Rangers could not be in a better position. Yeah, and, and the one thing I will say too with regard to kind of dovetail off that last comment is I, I'm not here for the takes that are saying the Rangers at two are in a better spot than the Devils at one. Like I get the whole hey it's an easier decision, but like if you're like I, I feel like that's just a way to make yourself feel better. It's like when brides say, oh, when it rains on your wedding day, it's good luck. Well, no, it's fucking bad luck. It just rained on your goddamn wedding day. And similar to this, and it's just something, you know, people tell themselves to make themselves feel better about the fact that it rained on their wedding day. Well, with here, like, we're seriously going to say that you're in a better spot because now you're forced to take one of the two instead of getting your own choice of one of the two. Like, we're in a better spot because we don't have to do the work to determine which one we want more. That just kind of seems lazy and asinine to me. Well, I, I, I don't, look, I, don't, look um, I, I would like to explain that because I'm one of the people who keeps bringing that up. It's not that the second overall pick is is like the better pick to have. It's just that as a Rangers fan, I, I, I sometimes am really sick and tired of the constant rehashing of who we should have picked. And oh, yeah, I, I'll say this as a fan. You're you. But see, you just made a different point, though. You, you yeah. said as a fan. People are making the point that the Rangers as the organization are in the better spot. No, 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 no. You, you never – the second overall pick is never a better pick than the first overall pick. Never. Because you, your options are just not the same as first overall. But as a fan, I just, I'm just happy that I don't have to have arguments for the next 10 years over who we should have picked first overall. We will get whoever is left, and there's no debate. Because it's 2019, and I still, on Twitter and Facebook and, and, and forums, I still see the whole tarasenko Makarath thing pop up. I mean... Yeah, well, you should probably stop going on Rangers Facebook, though. That's the first no, thing. But yeah, I know, I know. But still, I mean, can, can we let it go? I mean, and, and, and one of the points I brought up today was on Twitter. Um, I wonder how many Vancouver Canucks fans complained in 2014 that Chris Kreider is playing in the Stanley Cup final, but they picked, uh, but but they got Jordan Schroeder or something. You know, it's do, do do people look at it that way as well? No, it's and I feel that Ranger fans are a little bit worse with this stuff than other fans because they they just keep living and rehashing the past. It's it's we we're getting to the point where it's just annoying and no longer worth discussing. Yes, well, I'll, we, I'll, I'll I'll take a lot of ownership on that. I like I like poking the bear, so I don't care. And and I know it's a bad pick, and I accept that it's a bad pick. But it's not as if the Rangers are the only team to make bad picks. You know, Tampa Bay picked Slater Kukuk tenth overall, and Brett Connolly seventh overall. Um, but the only the only one thing only, I'll say though is is I, and I get your point, but I, this does exist in all fan bases. I just think we hear it more from the Rangers just because we're more involved with the Rangers fan base. Like the Canucks one, I'm actually in like a, 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 I've been in another group with like a few Canucks fans and like they're just as petty and vindictive and grudge holding as we are. Yeah. All fan bases are stupid. You know, being a sports, a sports fan, you pretty much just throw yeah. logic at the window because we're all rooting for laundry at the end of the day. Um, 
but uh, it's yeah, it is what it is. Just with the Rangers, you know, we're more involved with the Rangers, so we see it more, and there's right. just more right. Ranger fans uh, for the than most you know stateside yeah. teams. Yeah, maybe, maybe we have and, a larger and... group of idiots. I so said every fan base has more or less the same percentage of morons. It's just some teams by sheer volume have more of them. Yeah, probably. But you know, the thing is, if we end up with Jack Hughes at second overall, um. Uh, there's no reason to be upset. And I've seen people say, oh, is Jack Hughes uh, really an, uh, an elite prospect and this and that. How do we go from a whole season of lose for use to now, th- to now saying, oh, if we get him second overall, I hope he's good enough? Yeah, I, well, I, I'll tell you exactly how. It's because, as I said, fans are stupid. From the second we got the second overall pick, you all see a Fans always overvalue their own stuff. I mean, hell, we see it when we're throwing out, like, different trade machinations that the Rangers possibly could do. And, like, fans are like, oh, I wouldn't trade, you know, insert our 10th prospect for a good player. Like, fans just always inherently overrate their own picks, their own prospects, their own players. And so it's from the second we got the second overall pick, it was Chaco is a presumptive number two. So everyone just immediately started pumping those tires. And because of how much time and energy they've already invested in Kako, now they'll be disappointed if it ends up being someone else. Yeah, and in that regard, this reminds me a lot of the Wallstrom hype last year. Yeah, absolutely. Because Larry Brooks mentioned Oliver Wallstrom in some of his articles, and you could tell the moment that happened that Ranger fans were zoning in on Wallstrom, and that was the only thing certain, uh, uh, most fans uh, cared about. And when we picked Kraftsoff, I was at the draft in Dallas. When we picked Kraftsoff, I went to, to the bathroom, and there was a Rangers fan who was furious, and he was yelling at me, like, uh, how, how can we pick a guy that I've never heard of instead of Wallstrom, who is going to be a star? And my, I wasn't even in the mood to have the, the conversation or the discussion at, the, at that point, but I tried anyway. And... I asked him, why did you want Oliver Wallstrom? And he literally said, because Larry Brooks has, has convinced me that he's a great player. And that's, you know, the, the name that is, that is mentioned in the weeks leading up to the draft, that's what sticks with, with fans. That's what sticks to fans. And in 2010, it wasn't even Tarasenko. It was Ken Fowler that, that most fans wanted. It's just that now, nine years later, Tarasenko turns out to be one of the best players in that draft that people go back and say, oh, yeah, uh, we passed on Tarasenko. But I, I, I remember on draft day in 2010 that almost nobody mentioned Tarasenko. It was all Ken Paolo. Yeah, and, and I'll say, like, it's one of the more frustrating things from my perspective of doing prospect analysis. Like, listen, I love engaging anyone that wants to chat with me, whether you agree with me or not. I actually purposely like engaging with people who have contrarian views to my own, because you can never learn anything by existing in an echo chamber. It's yeah. good to have some debates with people who know what they're talking about that have different views than you. That said, a lot of times, like, I'll get pushback from people on, like, say, a prospect ranking I have or a piece of analysis I have. And I'll be like, okay, well, why do you feel that way? And it's just like, well, Craig Button says that. Like, oh, so you don't have any direct fucking knowledge of your own. You're just parroting the views yeah. of Craig Button, who I, I'm not even going to get into my feelings towards him. But, like, you know, <laughs> if you're going to, like, come at me, like, come at me with actual insight of your own. Don't just parrot, you know, something that somebody else you trust for a reason you can't even state said. Yeah, and, and that, that's, that's a good point. And, and, but most people don't really... Uh, watch a lot of prospects 
aside from maybe the top two, top three players in in the rankings. Um, and when you when you actually discuss certain players, and I I get this a lot. You know, I live in Europe. I watch a lot of European prospects because it's in my time zone. It, it I travel to Finland for work several times a year. I always try to catch a couple of games. I saw Kotkaniemi before he was drafted. Um, uh, Rasmus Kupari, same thing. And and then I try to bring it up, and they go, "Oh, um, but how much have you seen of him?" Like, well, I can I can I can prove it to you that I've actually seen those games because I was at those games. But why do I need to prove myself when when other people are spouting this nonsense all the time about? And this is you know this is not directed at anyone personally, but. I just have a hard time believing that someone who lives in North America can watch uh, KHL games every day. Um, yeah, absolutely, and like, and like, I mean, I do prospect analysis. I go out of my way to watch all this stuff, yeah. and I mean, it's not easy. Like, I, if Reddit didn't exist, it'd be largely impossible. But thankfully, you know, between um, Reddit and like the the hockey streams channel and stuff like that, and then I have some friends with. I have one friend with a jailbroken. Um, system where he can like feed some feeds over to me as well and things like yeah. that. So I, I probably end up watching, you know, uh, fifteen or so. Oh, shut up, Declan. <laughs> I probably, <laughs> I, I probably watch like fifteen or so games of like the top KHL prospects a year through whether it's shift by shift YouTube videos that you can get from like prospectships.com yeah. or like you know illegal streams and stuff like that. But even that's not, you know, it's enough for me to get some analysis on some of the guys, but it's, I'm not sitting there watching every single game. No, and, and you know, you, you can watch some of it, but it's just, it's impossible. I mean, for me, watching KHL games, they start at 3 p.m. my time. And I usually have them on one of my second secondary screens as I do some meetings in the afternoon late. Um, so I, I do get to watch some games, but, you know, when, when it comes to prospect rankings... I wish people would just stick to uh, their area of expertise, so to speak. I wish the prospect rankings were just the way CSS does it, where you have North America and Europe. Because the moment you start to put them together, I mean, it's 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 so difficult to to compare eighteen-year-olds in Europe who play professional to eighteen-year-olds in North America who play against sixteen-year-olds, for instance. And that's not even taking yeah. into account how may, how much you watch of the players on the other continent. Nope, that's true. And like we do have different like analytical measures and transla- translation factors to help. And you know, at the end of the day, we do need to put these all these guys on one list because that's what the pro teams have to do. Um, but my main gripe is just like listen, like I'm always happy to answer questions. And if you even if you want to question something I say, that's fine. But like, if you're gonna come at me hard, come at me with something that you know, you know, or prove that you've done some work to come at me hard with whatever your counterpoint is. Don't just tell me I'm an idiot and because Craig Button disagrees with me. <laughs> that's really all my point is. Yeah, that's that's that, that, that's a good point because at the end of the day, guys like Button and even McKenzie, you know, they are they are reporters, they're journalists who put together a list. That is not the be all end all of everything, and and this is where the whole you know reach and 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 steal thing comes from every year in the draft, where fans go, oh, uh, this guy was was ranked fifth overall, and and we didn't pick him at, at seven, yeah, but that's that's just not how it works. And agreed. Uh, and and today the NHL Combine uh, starts, 
and this is this is something that that fans just don't see. They don't see what what happens there. And I'm not even talking about the physical aspect of the combine, but the interviews, because I know some some players have interviews with all 31 teams, and it, and what is said in those interviews matters just as much as what a player does on the ice. I wouldn't go quite that far, but I, I agree that it, it does matter. And, and you know, like I'm analytic—I'm in the analytics crowd. You know, I spent months putting together my hockey lexicon and blue shirts breakaway to help like translate some of these complex analytical things in like digestible manner. So I'm huge on analytics. And sometimes people in the analytical crowd, I do think, downplay the importance of um, personality traits and stuff like that. Like I, I think some folks, like pretty much your folks that often are opining about the merits of hits and and stuff like that on stat sheets probably overvalue intangibles but people in the analytical crowd typically undervalue and i think it's in the middle and and one point i think that what you said is important is you know with these um prospect combines like yeah you know what a guy might interview with all 31 teams that doesn't mean he realistically could go to all 31 teams teams are banking this information for later it's just free information and it can often be used in trade discussions or stuff like that later yeah, and, and this is something I brought up, I think, on our, on our previous episode. You know, uh, teams interview players uh, sometimes because in, in two, three years, they might be available in a trade or maybe, maybe six, seven years from now, they might be available through free agency. And you don't need to go through the whole hassle of figuring out who he is and where he comes from because you've already ha- you already have that file on him stashed away and you can just go back to that and you know, ask like two or three questions for some updated information. But I think it was Kraftsoft last year who met with with more than 20 teams. And that's typical of guys in the mid that are projected to be in that mid first round area. Yeah. But but even teams that that weren't in the range where where he would have gone or where he was where he was expected to go. You know, those teams still had an interview with him because you know, why not? You're there. You might as well. Make, make make use of the opportunity you have. And I think, I remember reading this a few years ago, but most teams have like 80 or 90 interviews during the combine. That's, 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 that's a ridiculous amount of interviews. But moving forward, you know, it, yeah, if those players are there, why, why not do it? Yep, yep, I agree. So, Greg, what, what do you think? Or do you want to just move on to the next topic? Um, you guys, I mean, I was just letting you guys kind of go on that one. <laughs> um, I just want to get to the, the, the Rangers picks. Cause I think that's what people really care about. So let's get on to the, yeah, sounds good. let's go on to the, let's go on to the 20th pick. We all look, we could sit here and talk about, you know, using cackle forever. And then we could also sit and talk about prospect stuff and how people rank forever. So let's just get on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast. So the 20th, 20th, 20th pick in this, in, in the first round Rangers own it's the via the Winnipeg pick. Um, so let's just talk about a couple players that you feel are in that range or guys that might even slip to that range that, that either you're high on and then maybe the Rangers are also high on it too. Cause I know sometimes how you might feel might not exactly be where the Rangers would pick. Yeah, sure. Steven, you want to kick it off? Um, well, I think I've said what I wanted to say about the 20th overall pick last week. Um, you know, when, when Greg asked me who my targets would be in that range, 
Um, and again, you know, I'm, I focus mostly on European prospects, so those were the ones that I was listing. Um, I do, th- I do feel the Rangers will go with a forward because of how barn their their forward prospect pool is. Um, well, that forward is where the value is in the first round of this draft, too. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are some nice defensemen, and and people are talking themselves into it, this and that. But in my opinion, the value overwhelmingly is at forward in the first round in this draft. Yeah, and and that's not necessarily because the forwards are definitely better than defensemen. It's more that you know it, your chances are higher at getting a decent defenseman later on in a draft than getting a decent forward later on in the draft. That I would though say that I do think the forwards are better than the defensemen in this particular draft. Like that second group, like after um, Bowen Byram, like you can make an argument for six or seven different defensemen for being the second best defenseman in this class, and I've seen all of them. Um, but with the, where the Rangers are at in 20 at, at pick 20 is, you know, it's very likely that one of those top 15 or so forwards who, for the most part, when you look across the board, most of the top 15 across anyone's rankings, whether they're analytically minded, more, you know, I test is the only thing that matters minded, like typically 12, 13, 14 of people's top 15 picks are forwards in this draft class. And I think in my top 15 right now, I have 14 forwards and my only defense is going by. Wow, that's interesting. So let me ask you a question. So out of the, so what's the most likely candidate from, from those top 15 forwards you could see slipping to 20? Well, you could say, this is a guy who's going to be there at 20 that I have at 15. I'll put the caveat of what Stephen said about, you know, the slipping conversation and how it can be ridiculous at times. Um, but that said, like, I mean, Pavel Dorfiev, as we've all spoke, as I know you guys have spoken about before, he's a favorite of mine that I've been talking about for a while. I jokingly gave him my Ty Smith Memorial Award, which in essence just means it's the prospect that I'm going to bug the shit out of all of you about the most in terms of this guy's better than I think most people give him credit for. Although Dorfiev's uh, gotten a lot more buzz recently, um, which kind of surprises me because he wasn't playing in any national tournaments, and usually a lot of the buzz comes from these national tournaments. Maybe people are finally just starting to listen to me. I don't know. Um, but he's a guy where I, I'll, in my final ranks, I'll have him probably 13, 14, 15. And, um, you know, in January, Bob McKenzie scout poll had him in the 60s. Um, and a couple of the more traditional pundits, um, you know, for TSN and Sportsnet and stuff like that don't have him in their first round. Um, a lot of people, though, there are a lot of people that have him in their teens and 20s as well. But he's a guy that I'd personally love at 20. And you know, some might call that a reach, but I, I personally think that'd be great value at twenty. I, it's uh-huh. funny. The, it's funny you mentioned not, not in the first round because I think it's um, if I remember correctly, it might have been Craig Custance who actually was talking about that, answering a question from a um, someone on the Athletic, and he basically said, "They says, well, where do you see uh, uh, Orfeo going?" And he says, uh, second, third round." I'm like, "Oh, Corey Pronman, like, you mean?" Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Why did I think Craig Custance? Corey Pronman, correct. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, nice. But it's so well, so yeah. to me that was very like oh. Really? Like, second, third round? I've been hearing a lot of hype about it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't really care. If we're, I don't get into trying to say, like, where do I think people will actually go? Because I'm not an insider. I don't know what these front offices are thinking. I just know that I will have him ranked, you know, in the, you know, like I said, the 13 to 15 range. And so I'd love him at 20. Um, a really dynamic, talented guy that, for one reason or another, could fall to 20 that I'd be thrilled about. And actually take him over Durofiev is um, Alex Newhook, who plays in the BCHL um, for Vancouver. And he, uh, you know, that's a league that's a lesser-known league. It's not one of the top CHL leagues. 
but he is a dynamic talent, can blow by people, um, is as gifted as they come. And because of the league he plays in, and because of the fact that he got sent home from the U18 teams earlier in the year, uh, he could fall. What about, um, could you see a possibility of guys like, you know, Cole Caulfield falling? Um, I get, yeah, I could. Uh, he's, uh, he's really small. He's, I mean, calling him small is like an insult to small people. He's like, I will now say this, he's probably going to be a, some guy that's five foot four looking at the baseball <laughs> But he's like, he's five seven and like a bean pole. Like, it's not even like he has a lot of muscle on him or anything like that. He is tiny. And so because of that, he could definitely fall. Um, I do think Caulfield is actually among the more overrated prospects right now. Interesting. Um, like, I'm seeing people ranking like fourth, fifth, sixth. Like, you know, like I, you guys, everyone has their right to their opinion. But to me, this screams a lot of Oliver Wallstrom last year. And last year, I was victim of the Wallstrom hype, too. I think I ended up having Wallstrom ranked fourth. Um, and, you know, he's still a good prospect. People are now downplaying. Like, he's still, you know, if we were doing a redraft, he probably, I would probably have him somewhere in the 12, 13 range. Um, but Caulfield, I mean, he's a goal scorer, but he's fairly one-dimensional, especially when you compare him to some of the other players on that team. And, like, you know, last year, the argument was, hey, Wallstrom benefits from playing on Jack Hughes' line. Well, if you watch a lot of Caulfield's play, like, a lot of his goals are coming from fantastic assists from uh, either Jack Hughes or Trevor Zegers or Alex Turcott, um, depending on what line he's playing on. And, you know, like I said, I love Caulfield. If he's there at 20, like, I'd be thrilled with him at 20. But I, I'm not there for anyone saying that he's, like, the fourth or fifth best prospect. Yeah, he's a great sniper. And, yeah, Alex DeBrinkhead's doing amazing. But... You know, just because the Brinkett's doing amazing doesn't mean Caulfield will. Caulfield right. needs to work his ass off like the Brinkett has for the next couple of years to get to the point where the Brinkett is now. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'd be very, very happy with Caulfield at 20. I'll probably have him ranked in the 13, 14, 15 range, similar to Dorofiev. Um, but I, I'm not here for Caulfield's a top five oh. player. I wouldn't even put him in the top 10. And, and, okay. I do, and, and I'm a huge advocate of people with full complete games and uh you give me trevor zegers or alex Turcott all day any day over full Hawkins. what about um kelly uh, arthur kellyev or uh what, what's that what's that other kid there's another um brink we'll do kelly oh, those are the two favorites. you mean bobby kelly brink first yeah bobby brink yeah. and uh, yeah. arthur kellyev yeah so kellyev actually is a more complete player than caulfield and uh that's the truth it, it's not even like a, a subjective matter um Kaliev is a way better playmaker than he gets credit for like okay. i get the there are red flags with Kaliev, and i've actually watched a ton of him he might be the prospect that i've seen the most of outside of the u.s outside of the u.s guys um and he is a really good playmaker people who think he's just a goal scorer are wrong um also people call him a sniper that's also wrong he's not really a sniper he's more of like a, a machine gunner where he just pumps shots on net and he has a great feel for the ice, and he's great at cleaning up the garbage in front of the ice. Um, he's a pretty big, strong dude. Um, if anything, he actually might be a little bit too heavy and needs to um, kind of work out a bit and tone down a little bit. Um, but he is—he can score in all sorts of manners. See, I would not consider him a pure sniper. Um, okay. And to be fair, I actually think guys like him that kind of pump shots on net, that tends to translate a little bit better to the pro level than pure snipers anyway. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, you know, I like Kaliev a lot. If they took him at 20, I'd be thrilled. I'll probably have Kaliev ranked the highest of his three we've spoken about so far. Right now, I think I have him around 10 or so. 
Okay. Would, would he is he is he realistically a guy that will be there at twenty? Or do you yeah, he could be. Not? He could fall because his red flags are the things that NHL teams tend to be most scared of. And I think Kaliev more than anyone. Uh, I should rephrase this. Nobody's interviews at the combine will be more important than Arthur Kaliev because I mentioned before that like, he's got some red flags and the biggest one, and this is true, is his off puck play is really really lacking at times. Um, okay. Some of that I do think is the system that. Uh, that his team plays, and I want to say that uh, he plays for Hamilton. Yeah, I'm completely drawing a brain fart here. Let me take a look at this sheet. Yeah, yeah, he plays for Hamilton. Um, but I think some of it is the system he plays, and that his coach purposely wants him to do this because his coach never ever talks bad about Kalia's style. And like I said, it is noticeable sometimes. It does look like he's kind of floating off, you know, when he doesn't have the puck, um, and doesn't look like he's necessarily trying the hardest when he doesn't have the puck on his stick. But if that was something that was an issue, like you'd hear his coach mention it here or there. His coach never says a bad word about him from what I've seen. And so I have to assume part of his style of play is that's the way they want him to play. Um, right. So that, that, that's, that's not as much of a red flag as perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I will say like, it is like you would like to see more out of him. Like it's a red flag. I just don't think it's as big of a red flag as people make it seem. And Got these it. are the kind of things that teams can find out through their interviews. Right. Now, and what about Bobby Brink? He's another forward I was kind of looking at, maybe around that area. Yeah, so Bobby Brink is a forward uh, that plays for the USHL. So again, uh, similar to what we were talking about with Newhook before, it's not as prestigious as the league as um, you know, the CHL league, the WHL, the Q, or the OHL. Um, but Brink's a very talented kid, um, another great goal scorer. He, nothing he does, like when I watch him, really flies off the screen to me. It's like, wow, that is a singular elite skill or talent. But he just has a very complete and mature offensive game that I do think will uh, translate pretty well. Um, he's a very quick decision maker when he's got the puck. He's got a good shot. He's a good skater. Um, he's a boy. He's a very balanced skater, which is um, very impressive to me. Um, he's one of those guys that seems to always be making the right decisions. He constantly makes his line mates better. Um, you know, he's a very good prospect. And again, I'd be happy with him at 20. I'll probably have him ranked like one spot behind Dorofiev. Like if I were to rank the four guys we've been talking about, I'd have, or five guys, I'd have new hook, the highest, then Kaliev, then Dorofiev, then Brink. Oh, actually, Caulfield, uh, probably would be like just where Dorofiev is also. Okay. Um, so knowing what the way, the way the rain, knowing a little bit about Jeff Gordon and, you know, the, the organization about kind of the players they like to draft. Who's a player that that you think they would be like? Let's just hypothetically say some of these guys do fall. Who's someone that they are like? Okay, he's there at twenty. I am definitely taking him. Um. Well, if they have Dorofiev as highly rated as I do, they I could see them taking him because I mean they love their European prospects. That's no secret. Yeah, and no, that they they, do. they don't the scout they trust the most. I'm blanking on his name, but. I've been told, like, the scout they trust the most is their, the head of European scouting. Uh, Steven, do you know his name? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Bobrov? Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. But he's the scout that they trust the most. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I can see. And, and Dorofiev does play, like, a, an all-around all game. Um, he does need to get stronger. I mean, he is a beanpole right now. Like, a strong wind could blow that kid over. But, um, you know. Is he that tiny? He's just really skinny. He's like six foot, six foot one. He's just really skinny. 
Okay. Um, but he's what 18, like most 18 year olds. When I went into college, I was six foot, 145 pounds, sopping wet. I graduated six one, 190, same muscle fat percentage. Like, right. It's easy to put on muscle when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, especially if you have a good workout regimen. Totally. Um, so I'm not that concerned by it. But he's Dorofiev is fantastic in transition. He's got a mature, smart offensive game. He's got a wicked release of a shot. Um, and he's pretty good in his own zone, despite, you know, needing to put on strength. And he's actually, he's got like great IQ and awareness in the defensive zone, which has always impressed me. He, uh, he actually has a lot in common with, uh, Vitaly Kravtsov with the way he plays. Yeah, I would say, I, I've heard you say that before and I agree. I, I don't think he's quite as explosive as Kravtsov. No, no. Well, no. I, I can see a lot. I can see why you've made that comparison before, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the basics are there. Just the way he plays, a very mature style of hockey. Um, he he he's very responsible in his own zone, um, and he's he's not a selfish player. And same with Kravtsov. If you look at Kravtsov this last this past season, I mean, he was setting up teammates every game instead of you know going for the shot when he should have. And Dorofeyev, when you see him play in the KHL, he reminds me of Kravtsov. Not at the same level, but again, Dorofeyev will not be a top 10 pick. And Kravtsov was a top 10 pick, so that's a little bit of a difference. But the Rangers, the last couple of years, you can see that they value pro experience very highly going into the draft. They... They, they, they drafted Philip Hedl, 21st overall, uh, who was also, just like Dorofeyev, ranked in the second or third round by most people. Um, and the, the, the Anderson. The, yeah, uh, for instance, Lias Anderson, they, they, they valued him. Uh, Niels Lundqvist last year. Um, they, they just seem to trust that more than someone uh, lighting it up against 16-year-olds. And I'm yeah, not, and I even like Ragnarsson was all like uh, Ragnarsson was playing in the Alsvenkin. Like they definitely value that for sure. Uh, yeah, he actually he's actually going to the SHL. He signed with uh, Rogle in the in the Swedish uh, hockey league now. Um, but yeah, the other thing that 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 I noticed is that the Rangers seem to target. I don't know if they target them based on this, but they they the last two three years they have added a lot of players to the system who come from a hockey background, who come from a family uh, with pro hockey experience. Uh, like Patrick Virta's dad played in the NHL. Lias Andersen's dad played in the NHL. Ragnarsson's dad played in the NHL. Um, Niels Lundqvist played with his uncle uh, in Lulia last season. So it, it seems like they, they value that a little bit. Uh, like I'm not saying they will pick a player based on that over others, but when they have the choice between three or four players who they deem to be on the same level, I think that they that that, that is something that that sways the decision in their players' favor a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but I can definitely see that. Um, and, and the Rangers also like I know they speak they always speak very highly of guys with complete games, two way games, stuff like that. And yeah. So I can see um, like. Uh, yeah, they, they, you know those sorts of players that get that buzz. You know, I would never be surprised if they went with. Um, and then one guy that I know, well, I, I can't say for a fact. It's not like someone in the Rangers organization told me this, but um, multiple people who have proven to me that they do have a bit of inside information have told, have told me back in like January, before we knew the Rangers were getting the second pick, 
that the Rangers were infatuated with Trevor Zegras. And Zegras, again, plays that two-way game not quite as much as Turcotte. I mean, Turcotte is arguably the best two, two-way player in the entire draft. And so Zegras doesn't get quite that buzz, but he does play like a tenacious style. He's actually um, a much like grittier player uh, than people realize. Um, he always finishes his check. He's heavy on the fourth check. Um, but he's like, extremely talented. Outside of Hughes, he might be the best playmaker in this entire draft class. And I know the Rangers were infatuated with him back in January, February. And, you know, in, so when you have that conversation of who is a guy the Rangers might trade up for, because there's no way Zegers is lasting to 20. If Zegers falls to that 10, 11, 12 range, he's a guy I could see the Rangers maybe being like, all right, what do we need to give up, give up to make that move from 20 up to, say, 12 to nab a falling egress yeah and that's, and that's, if you if you if you look at trades because I, I made a list about this um uh, since the salary cap was introduced in 2005 teams that traded up from the 19 or 20 range and um the average value of trading up from 20 to let's to say 14 is usually a second or early third round pick so they have the assets to make it happen yeah yeah absolutely um uh, and, and so, like, in, in the conversation that we're kind of having of, like, some, maybe some other guys that could be available in this range that I could see the Rangers targeting, um, one guy that, I, to me, has Rangers prospect written all over it, and he, uh, I'll probably have him ranked probably just about 20th, somewhere in that 18 to 22 range, is uh, Nils Hoglander. Um, he is a great two-way player, does everything well, and... Um, the one talent he has that really stands out is he has fantastic hands. Um, he's uh, it, it, like if you you know if you were doing rankings of like hey who are the top five players in this draft class in various attributes, um, Hoglander would definitely be a guy that I'd say is top five in the draft class in terms of hands. Um, he like his ability to just receive passes is remarkable, and, and you'll notice like this is something that a lot of NHLers struggle with. Where like they'll get a good pass, but it's kind of like when you're playing baseball. Because um, I know a lot of people who probably can play baseball as well. Like if someone throws a ball hard at you, you kind of when you go to catch it, you have to bring your mitt back a little bit to kind of cradle the catch. If you throw your mitt out towards it, you're either gonna break your fucking hand or you're, the ball's gonna pop out of your mitt. And it's similar with receiving passes in hockey, where when you get a hard, crisp pass, you can't like throw your stick out it to get it. You kind of have to receive it and sort of you know let the moment you know pull your stick back a bit. So the puck doesn't bounce off your stick. And Hoglander is probably just as good, if not better, than anyone in this draft class at receiving passes and then, you know, geeking and doing what he needs with it. Interesting. I, I, that's a prospect I did not even look at. So I'm, I'm interested to take a look Steven, at it. what do you think? He's an, he's an SHL guy. Do you have any thoughts on him? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the funny thing about him is that he will play with Jakub Ragnarsson next season, unless he, if he stays in Sweden, of course. Uh, but I do think he's a very interesting prospect in that, in that range, like 20 to 30. Um, and yeah, he's, he's definitely someone the Rangers could target because he fits that mold of the players. The Rangers have targeted in the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, his like, I agree. His, his hands are amazing. Um, he he scores goals in the SHL that that you just don't expect from from a seventeen or eighteen year old. Um, I don't think he's because this is always the discussion that that comes up when you draft a player in the twenty to thirty range. Is he NHL ready? I don't think any player in that range is ever NHL ready. Um, 
and especially him, he's a, he's an early birthday, so he's a little bit older than 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 most guys who will be drafted. But I think he he probably needs a year or two still in Sweden before he comes over, which actually fits the Rangers timeline perfectly. So, yeah, I could see him. I could see him as a target um, together with uh, the uh, a Finnish guy that actually has been climbing up the rankings the last couple of weeks. Uh, Patrick, uh No, no, no. Um, the, not the defenseman. Freestola? Freestola, yeah. Um, he, he had a great under-18 world championship. He had a great under-18 world championship. If you look at his goals that he scored in, in Finland, no two goals are the same. It's amazing how he finds ways to score, and that's probably his biggest asset. And that is, that is I think... A good target for the Rangers because that's the type of player that they're missing in their system. If you look at at Kravtsov and Hedl and you know all the players that they have are those those respons- responsible two-way players who usually set up teammates and Pristola is that player who just who should be on the receiving end of all those passes by Kravtsov and Hedl and 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 Zibanejad and in the past Zuccarello, but he, of course he's not coming back. Um, but yeah, they, the, the Rangers desperately need some shoot-first guys. Um, and I think Hoglander and Pristola could definitely be targets at 20. Let, Although, me, ask you guys, let me ask you guys uh, one... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, one, one last thing I wanted to bring up quickly about the 20th overall pick. Uh, and I wanted to ask Drew, actually. Um, how realistic... Um, how, how realistic are Heinola and Newhook as targets at 20 knowing that the Rangers have seen more of them because they played together with the Rangers prospect this past season. Does well, that well, first on, Pre- on Pristola, I want, I, and I, I, I'll answer that question, but first on Pristola, uh, I, I agree with your talent evaluation. My only concern with him is I think it's a little bit of an overreaction to how well he looked in this last U18 tournament. Um, he wasn't really on many people's radar as a close consideration for first-round pick until that tournament, and it's for good reason like he he is all the things you said but he's also remarkably raw i mean we're saying that hoglander probably needs two years like quistola probably needs three or four years and while that's not necessarily a bad thing and it could fit the rangers timeline it's just that adds a lot more risk um and because there's so many more things that could go wrong in that time um and listen if the rangers take quistola 20 i won't be upset because um, he's a talent, and at this point, like, hey, just I'm fine with taking gambles on talent because the Rangers have so many like mid-level prospects. Yeah, you have I'm to. I'm totally you fine to. with taking a home run swing, but yeah. he won't be ranked. Like, I'll probably have him ranked in the early 30s or something when my ranks come out. Yeah, and 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 then the question, the, the question then is, do the Rangers, like, I hate to use the word, but do the Rangers reach for a guy like that, or do they? go with with a different player and you know when they picked Hedl 21st overall everyone was was asking who is Hedl and and immediately look look at the rankings like oh he was ranked 60th or 72nd or whatever um I think the Rangers are in a position now where they they should swing for the fences with some of these picks yep I I agree I'm cool swinging for the I think it just depends on who's there and how the board falls um, yeah, yeah, of course. And I do think there are other like swing for the fences guys that that are there as well. Um, and to answer your your other question about um, Newhook and um, 
Hainola. Um, is it Hainola? He, I, I heard it pronounced Hainola. How did you pronounce it? Uh, Hainola. Oh, it is that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, Hainola fits again. They they trust their European guys. Um, Hainola, I'll probably have ranked in the, you know, that the range of twenty, you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. He'll probably end up being my second overall defenseman on my board. Um, I, I could see him being a guy that they target. Um, and New Hook, like I just think New Hook's one of the more talented guys in this class, regardless of the fact that um, he was just playing with um, uh, right uh, Hughes, right? It's uh, Hughes on the team. Riley Hughes, yeah, yeah, yeah Riley Hughes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure, they probably saw him a bit more because of that. But I'd like to think that New Hook would be on the radar, regardless of the fact that Riley Hughes is on his team. Yeah, yeah, but but my question is, if if they have to choose between several players, do you think that that could be the determining factor because they've seen more of that one player? Um, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't spoken with anyone with the Rangers to to know. I would say I hope not, though. Um, I hope that you know their methodology is more just, hey, we're doing whatever we can to find the best talent. And I mean, I but human nature, though, I think would dictate that. Like, yeah, maybe. All else equal, they've seen more of this guy, so they might lean towards him. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one one quick thing: if 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 it so happens that Jack Hughes goes first overall and Capo Caco goes second overall, it will be the fourth year in a row that the Rangers draft a player from TPS in Finland. Oh, interesting. Runanen from TPS. Uh, Reunanen in 2016. Yeah. Patrick Virta 2017. Lori Payuniemi in 2018, and then this year would be Capo Caco. Okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And they also signed Alexander Georgiev from TPS oh, wow. as a free agent. And their Finnish scout, Miko Eloranta, used to play for TPS. So the oh. connection is definitely there. Yep. And speaking of connections, and, and one reason, just to go back to our Hughes discussion real quick, one of the reasons why Hughes is also such a presumptive number one with the Devils is because he's got a ton of connections with uh, Ray Shiro there. And, and that's um, the Ray Shiro, Taylor Hall. Yeah. yeah. So that, that and, among all else, like if things are tied, like say the Devils have Hughes and Kako dead tied at number one, like they're going to, I would believe they're going to go Hughes because of the connections they have there. Uh, yeah, and what most people probably don't realize is that their head coach, John Hines, worked with Jack Hughes the last couple of weeks as the assistant coach of Team USA. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, enough of Hughes and Kako. Sorry for bringing yeah, that yeah. up. Yeah. No, that's um, okay. I did want to ask you guys about one other player um, before we touch on something else. Um, let's talk about Vasily Podkolson for a second. So I feel like he's a real wild card in this entire draft. Um <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen him ranked as high as three. I've seen him ranked as low as, I mean, I kid you not, like 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. There's reasons. It's, it's, so, it's, it's so crazy. Like, I've never seen one player be this, have this much, like, disparity between rankings. Dude, last year we had Ryan Merkley. Like, this, every year there's a guy like this. Um, Pod Colson maybe a little bit more on the high end. Um, and, you know, Stephen, I'd love to hear your take on Pod Colson too. But from what I've seen, um, yeah, I mean, the guy's highlight, he actually, he reminds, the guy I related to is Casey Middlestad all the time. His highlight reels, his YouTube videos are as good as they come. When you watch him play, um, depending on what game you see, he can look as dominant as anyone in this draft class. Uh, but you know what? I've also seen him playing games where I didn't even realize he was playing until like the second or third period. And people seem to conveniently forget those when they opine about his, uh, his uh, tape and oh, watch the game, watch him play. You'll see a dominant player. It's like, yeah, sometimes you see a dominant player and sometimes you don't. Um, and he's also 
perhaps the le the most poorly disciplined player in this entire class. And I know some old school types look at some of the bullshit he does, and they're like, oh, that's fire, that's passion, you want that. Bullshit. That's the kind of thing that gets you suspended for 5, 10, 15 games in the NHL. He's got that Nazim Kadri gene in him, where when he gets mad, he sees nothing but red, and then takes stupid fucking penalty after stupid fucking penalty. Oh, I hate that shit. I hate that shit. I really, I'll admit, I hate that shit. I, 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 those are not kind of players I like. I like, I like disciplined players who like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to react in a, in a, in a way, react by putting some points on the board or, or making a, a big play to set something up or a big hit, but don't, don't take dumb penalties and put your team at risk. I mean, listen, he, he's like, I, I don't want to like, he is a very good player. Like I understand why some people are infatuated with him, um, but his numbers uh, weren't great at all in his league play and I'm a big advocate and, and usually like a, I found a study about this but I can't find it again but like the numbers tend to back up that league play translates better to the NHL level level than international commitments do and so I'm a big advocate in like analyzing league play when we're analyzing these prospects and his league play was nothing to to brag about his play in the MHL his numbers in the MHL weren't anything close to what Europia put up Granted, the MHL is a very weird league. It's a very unstructured league, and there's a lot of weird noise that goes on in that league. Um, in the VHL, he did pretty good. In the KHL, he looked fine, but I actually thought the Rofiev looked like he belonged more in the KHL than Todd Colson did. Um, it's, you know, he's a weird, like I said, the, the talent is there. He needs to grow up. Um, and, and to me, he needs to be more consistent. Like, I, I get that, um, you know, his highlight reels are great, but similar to middle stat. You know, yeah, he's got the talent, but at some point the numbers do matter. And if there's a fairly long track record of you having pretty underwhelming numbers over multiple seasons now, like, I'm sorry, I can't have him as a top five guy. So where do you think he goes? I mean, he, he'll, he'll probably go to a team in the lottery that doesn't mind the fact that he's publicly stated that he's coming. he's not coming to the NHL for a few years. Um, he's in one of the toughest systems to come out of in the KHL. Um, it, it's I know the team he plays for. It's it's they have more money. I think it's it's Stephen Saint. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm away from my computer. I'm blank. It's Saint Petersburg. I think he plays for. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are perhaps the richest team or the second richest team in the KHL. And so a lot of times you can get guys that come over from the KHL because like, hey, I'll actually pay you, <laughs> and your salary is guaranteed, and you won't have because there are some KHL teams that are like have histories of like missing salary payments and stuff like that. That's not an issue with St. Petersburg. Um, and, and historically those the team, guys from that team are the most difficult to bring over because they're in a great spot and they're superstars over there. Um, and, and he's publicly stated a, a couple months ago that like, I'm not coming over to the NHL for at least a few seasons. So that will scare a few teams off, but uh, some teams it won't scare off. And if all you care about is the talent, uh, then, you know, a team at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. that doesn't need him right away, you know, it's not a bad pick to take a swing on that talent. I mean, we're talking about home run swings before. He is a great home run swing because if he puts all the pieces together, he could easily be one of the top five players from this draft class, you know, five, ten years from now. It just, to me, there's enough risk with him. Um, and there are red flags, just as many as a lot of the other guys in this range, that I'd, I'd prefer, you know, uh, a Trevor Zegers or Alex Turcotte or, um, you know, Dylan Cousins, Bowen Byram. I'd prefer all these guys over uh, Pat Coles and myself. If you're, if you're the Rangers and he's there at 20, do you take him? Yes. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. That, that, that's, that, not a, that's not a question. But the yeah. thing with Todd Colson is that, and, and Drew already mentioned this a little bit, but his league plays completely different from international tournaments. And I know that a lot of journalists like Craig Button, they, they base their rankings on, especially when European players, uh, they play base their rankings on international tournaments because that's that's all they see or most of what they see. But the league play is a better indicator, as Drew said, because it's a larger sample size. If you look at the uh, the under twenty Russia team that he played on, he played a tournament in Sweden and he played a tournament in the Czech Republic, part of the under twenty four nations. But those two teams were different. You know, the, not not every player is called up for the team for both for both tournaments. Then he played in the World Juniors, which was, again, a completely different team with, yeah, some players were also there from the, the tournament in Hodonin two months earlier. But the, the, all, all those small tournaments are just different line combinations, different players he plays with. So it's, it's really difficult to, to compare those because it's only two or three games in those one weekend tournaments. And at the World Juniors, people fell in love with him because of his high energy style of play but is that enough to uh spend a top five pick on him and i think that the draft lottery the way the draft lottery uh worked out is one of the reasons why he will not be a top 10 pick because the teams that would not mind taking a risk are too high in the draft to to risk a pick like the the big market teams like chicago detroit and la they they are in the top five top six and it's just it's too risky for them and the teams that are in the range where the risk is sort of worth worth it are teams like Anaheim and Edmonton and Vancouver and Minnesota. And I don't see those teams risking a, a 10th or 11th overall pick on a guy who won't come over in the next two years and may not even may not ever come over because right. the team he plays for, like Nikita Gusev came over now this summer. Well, how old is he? 26? Um... Not sure. up there. I'm not, off the top of my head, I don't know how old he is, but he's 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 old enough where I don't even really consider him a prospect anymore. Yeah, so he's yeah, he's not. I'm saying he's 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 definitely not early twenties. Uh, he's turning twenty seven in July. Okay, so, so he yeah, he comes he comes over from the KHL to the NHL basically at age twenty seven. But Colson is turning eighteen this year, or has just turned eighteen. Do you really want to wait eight nine years for him to come over? Is that really worth it? No, no. no. So those and those small market teams usually have a harder time to bring these these Russian players over, especially when they play for one of the bigger teams in Russia. Yeah, that makes and sense. and the team in St. Petersburg doesn't have issues financially. They always pay their salaries, unlike a team like Slovan Bratislava, who was it was announced today that they are leaving the KHL and going back to the Slovak league because they just cannot afford the uh, the the operating cost anymore. Yeah, the travel was killing them. The travel was killing them. The salaries were too high. They finished the season with fourteen players on their roster. They they had a bench with 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 like like seven or eight players on it. It was crazy. Uh, so a team like like Slovan Bratislava cannot really afford that, but the team in St. Petersburg doesn't have that problem at all because you know they 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 are they are backed by Gazprom and and all those those big corporations, and they bring in a lot of money through revenue as well. So. A guy like Pod Colson, who has stated, because what he literally said was, I don't want to come over until I'm ready to go to the NHL, or he doesn't want to play in the AHL. I don't think he's ready to play in the NHL immediately. It's going to be a year or two at least. 
And then let's say at the earliest he will come over in 2021. And he just signed a new contract too, right? And he signed a new contract, but you know, there are ways around it if the contract lasts longer than 18 months. Yeah. Uh, which is why Kravtsov could not get out from under his contract because it was only valid for, or it was only running for one more year. Um, right. Okay. But a guy like Pot Colson, he's just too big a risk at five, six, or seventh overall. And he's too big a risk for the small market teams at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So I could, I could see him fall to 14, 15, or I don't know, maybe even 20. And I said back in December that I'm not saying it's likely, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dorofeyev is drafted ahead of Podkolzin. It's unlikely, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Because yeah. Dorofeyev is a much more desirable prospect in terms of character and his situation and the way he plays he's much more of a he's much more the guy that that scouts love right if so um, the one thing i'll i'll push back a little bit there just because this is a no one wants to hear us disagree on everything and steven you and i spoke about this a bit the other day so you know where i'm coming from so i think dorfeyev is much more the guy that people like you and i love i think scouts are often old white guys with lots of old white guy mentalities and a lot of nhl scouts love the bullshit pod colson does because they sit, while i sit there and say that's immature grow up some of these scouts say oh that's passion and fire and he cares and rowdy around in america um and um they also you know they look at his size and they're going to overvalue that i mean pod colson you put pod colson dorofia in the octagon right now, Pat Coles would knock out Dorofiev in five seconds. And <laughs> unfortunately, this is something that like a lot of scouts value. They overvalue size and strength and tenacity and things like that. Um, and, and so I think your typical traditional scout would definitely value Pat Coles in more because of the style he plays um, and because of his motor. And, and that's the one thing you can definitely say about Pat Coles and is like the dude never stops. Um, no, no, of course. Yeah, he, he never and, stops. But yeah, he, so that, he, that's he's all my a, point. He's such a, he makes such bone-up mistakes during, oh, during I agree. Game. I completely agree. I'm just saying, I think your typical scout would prefer Pod Colson, whereas people like you and I prefer Dorofiev. And it's just based on preference. Like, you and I have different preferences. No, no, but, but, but yeah, but I don't mean as a player. I mean more the, 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 the the other stuff like you know the team he plays for the team Dorofiev plays for makes it a little bit easier to bring him over true. yeah true um and but even like some like the the um the character traits and stuff like that that maybe might lean in Dorofiev's favor like we have to remember that the NHL is a league where Ryan O'Reilly drunk drove his truck into a Tim Hortons and then that same year was nominated for like the character award for Buffalo or whatever the hell they call that award. <laughs> like so, like you can you can't apply logic to how NHL teams evaluate character and intangibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good that's a valid point. That's pretty crazy, actually. Um, and I love Ryan O'Reilly for the record. He he is a joy to watch. But like it's it, so I don't mean that as a shot at him. I more mean that as a shot at the way the media in the NHL tends to evaluate these sorts of things. No, 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 no. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying it's just, it's just funny to, to let that. Yeah. Happen. All right. Um, one, one last name before we get on to like the end of the show and what you want to talk about. I just wanted to quickly throw out one more name in terms of the home run swings at 20. And that's uh, a player named Nick Robertson or Nicholas Robertson. Um, he's a guy that is as dynamic and talented as they come. 
He plays for Peterborough in the in the OHL. Um, he's small. He's only five nine, about one seventy. Um, he primarily plays on the wing, but can play center too. Um, and he's just a guy that you know his numbers on paper won't wow you. That's mainly because his team sucked. But in the context of what he was able to do for his team and the way he was able to just completely take games over, over and over again, when I watch him, he's a guy that you know a lot of people I think will probably have ranked in the mid twenties, late twenties, maybe even thirties. That if the Rangers took at twenty, I'd be perfectly happy because again, just taking a swing on talent, he's as talented as they come. Now, how tall is he? Five nine. Okay, so he's 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 another he's an undersized guy, but yeah, still, still taller than Caulfield by a few inches, though. Well, I think Caulfield <laughs> is a, is a, is an undersize of the undersize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I have no. I mean, if if you've listened to um if you've listened to me enough um on various different shows, I don't play into the size bullshit. I, I'm all about the, the the level of skill. Um, yeah. you know, it, today today's NHL is a lot different than it was back in 1980. Uh, yeah. today, you know, I mean, even if you look at the trend of like players that are being drafted, I remember, um, uh, um, Steve, the, the draft analyst was talking about the average size of players. And as the years go on, it's just the, the average size is getting smaller and smaller because, um, teams are just starting to, you know, in terms of the first round teams are just starting to say, well, if the guy can play, the guy can play, we'll find a, we'll find a place for him and, you know, Correct. we'll put him on a line and he'll produce anyway. So exactly. I'll say this, like, I mean, size does matter like some people have gone as far to say like size doesn't matter like no it does like if you take a five foot nine nick robertson and you make the exact same player with the exact same skating ability and all the exact same uh skills six foot two six foot two nick robertson is going to be better than five foot nine nick robertson but again it just doesn't matter nearly as much as it once did yeah i i just i guess my what i'm trying to say is that it's it's I'm not going to take a guy that's bigger for the sake of being bigger. I'm going to take a guy who can who can play better. And yeah, I mean, obviously, like if, if I have the complete package, I'll give you an example. Like Capo Caco is like a complete package. The guy is big and the guy can the guy has just an unbelievable amount of skill. So, yes, in a perfect world, you want you want a Capo Caco. But, you know, if you can also get a Capo Caco and then later on, you know, you're looking at some guys that are 6'3", 6'4", they're like, eh, whatever, but I can get a guy that's, you know, 5'9", 5'10", that can play. I want the guy who can play because I can, I can find a spot for him somewhere probably down the road in my top nine. Yeah, exactly. Skill definitely is more important. And it's like last night, was it Barry Melrose had that comment on ESPN? He was like, oh, look at the teams in the cup finals. They're all, all the guys that are scoring are 6'3", 6'4". So I tweeted the size of the Bruins yep. top line, like Brad Marchand's 5'9". Um, you have uh, David Pasternak, six foot, and doesn't play physical at all. And then you got Bergeron, six one, and that's a pretty generously listed six one. He's, he's, McAvoy, not, he's not six. He's not yeah, six. You got Charlie McAvoy listed at six foot. I've been in the same like uh, level, you know, level field as Charlie McAvoy before and seen him in person. I'm six one, and I have at least two inches on him. He is not six foot. Um, I'd bet my life that he's closer to five ten than he is six foot. Um, then you have uh, Krug is five nine and Greslich is five nine. Like and, yeah. and Krug is and Krug is five nine. He had a sick hit last night. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. And it's like I would say this like again, like you know, sure, you know, physicality. I think you know Melrose. I think wanted to make the point that physicality still matters, and it does. Functional physicality will always be important. As as I said, like I'm a big analytics guy, so like you know, it's a little bit out of character for me to to wax poetic about physicality, but it does matter, especially in the playoffs, but it needs to be functional physicality. You need yes. to be physical within the confines of the play. If you're that jackass that's just hunting hits, not only 
does that not help? You're hurting your team because now you're getting out of position for the sake of getting a hit. Now the other team probably has a guy open somewhere. But yes, I, you could, I could not. Use, I could not agree more. Yeah, but if you agree. can use your size and your strength and your physicality to to loosen the puck or to win board battles or to again to play in within the confines of the actual game of the play, then yeah, of course it matters. And that's one thing about Marshand is you know few players are better than Marshand at using his physicality for his size within the confines of every play. Yeah, he may, he may, he makes his he makes his physicality count when he needs to. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, enough about the um, Bruins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I because I, I can't fucking stand <laughs> Anyways, I, so I do want to get on to the um the second round for the Rangers because I think that that's yeah. a round that probably you know doesn't get talked about enough because I think that there are guys that you know are first round potential that always do slip to the second round. We've seen that time and time again. Um, so who are some guys that you like in that second round that you could feel? we can get with that Dallas pick or that Tampa Bay pick late in that second round that the guys that could either fall or guys who just love at that range. Steven, you want to start? I'm sick of hearing myself talk for a bit. Oh yeah. You know, the thing is when, once you get to the second round, it's, it's almost impossible to, you know, to, to pick some players who might be realistic targets. I remember last year there was this Swiss guy, Nando Eggenberger. Man, I, I, I loved him. And he was he everyone thought he was gonna be a second or third round pick and he went undrafted. Um Danila Galenu He might go undrafted again this year. Maybe, yeah. Um Danila Galenu was, was another one, you know, went undrafted, unexpected. Uh but yeah, the, the second round is is really difficult to predict. But uh one of the players that if he falls to the second round, if he falls to our pick. Could be a target. It's probably Samuel Fagemo, who plays for Folunda. I knew you were going to bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's just... Yes, he went undrafted last year, but he had a season that you expect from a late first-round pick who plays in Sweden. Okay. Um, he had 25 points in, I think, 42 games. That's the, that's the type of production you expect from a guy you draft as a forward late in the first round or early in the second round. So why would you gamble on a player who might hit 25 points in the Swedish league when you can get a player who already did at, at age 18? Yeah, I, I'm completely on board with Fagamo. I got to have, I, in my April ranks, I think I had him at 34. In my next ranks, I'll probably have him the same range, perhaps even slightly higher. And he's there when the Rangers are picking. What's the Rangers pick? 48 now? Uh, 48 is the Dallas pick. Yeah. 48 and 50-something. 50 yeah. 58 I mean, is the Tampa pick. If, if the Rangers get him at 48, I'll be thrilled. Uh, 100% on board with you um, about Fagamo, Fagamo, however you pronounce his last name. Um, all in. Is it, a, is it a Fagamo? Whatever it is, New Yorkers will butcher it anyway. Yeah, I, yeah. I, Steven, you're the one that actually lived in Europe. I trust your pronunciation more than mine. Yeah, I, I don't exact. I'm not an expert on his name. I know, I know some of the names, but uh, Fagamo just... It sounds right to me. I'll have to look it up. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, regardless, I, I'm completely on board with you. Uh, we mentioned Pristola before. I mean, if he's around 48, again, I'd be thrilled if he's there. Yeah. Um, uh, a Finnish, Finnish defenseman, Miko Kokonen, is, is someone who would be yeah, a target like, in the second round. Yeah, he had a fin. There, at the start of his year last year, he was looking like he was going to be a first rounder, but he didn't do too great at the end of the year so he could be there in the second round yeah uh same with uh, anthony honka he had a great start to the season and he just kept dropping oh. out of the first round and 
Honka was great last year in particular. This year he was pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Um, and he actually fell out of my first round. I had him, uh, I think I had him in like 26, 27 in April. He won't be in my first round now. Um, but I get agreed if he's there at 48, all about it. Yeah, and, and you know, at some point, if, if a defenseman drops far enough, I'm okay with the Rangers picking picking a defenseman. Mm-hmm. But I still hope that we, that we get some forwards in the draft because I, I, look, I looked at our... I looked at our system. The only three unsigned forwards we have in the system are Riley Hughes, Morgan Barron, and Lori Payuniemi. Those are the only three we have. Because Virtas' rights either expire or we sign him. Lakatos is not coming over. He's There's no way he gets an NHL contract. And uh, Daniel Bernhardt retired from hockey due to a heart condition. So we have no other unsigned forward prospects left. Um, one defenseman I'll add, though, that I also would be very happy with at 48 is uh, a right-handed defenser, defenseman from the terrible uh, Kalawana team, the WHL, named Lassie Thompson. Um, he is we, – we're lacking a lot Lassie Thompson in our system despite um, having a lot of D talent. Uh, Thompson's a guy that he skates well. He's good in transition. Uh, pretty responsible in his own zone, but as most um, you know, 17, 18-year-olds could use some work in his own zone. But holy shit, does he have a bomb of a shot from the point? Um, and, and to be clear, he does everything well, but he's got he he's a guy that could be like your prototypical like power play quarterback um, mm. in the NHL level. And um, you know, I love our defensive prospects, but I don't think we ha- quite have a righty just like him in our system. So Lassie Thompson's a guy that um, I'd be thrilled with at 48. Um, but also agree with Stephen about the forwards. And, and Stephen, do you have any other forwards in this range you'd like to target before I rattle off a couple? Uh, well, um, you have Albin Kleber from, from Sweden, who is a, uh, who's a, phys- pronounce his name. I always call, said it grew in my head. How do you grew? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, Kleber. It's G-R-E-W-E for it. G-R-E, G-R-E-W-E. Kleber. I'm not even going to try that. I, I'm that. not even going to try that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm going to. I had him ranked 31st in my April ranks, and he'll be in the same, probably in that same range in my June one. So agreed. Yeah, I will accept Gru because I know it's a it's it's a real pain in the ass to pronounce the name. Um, I think Levi Altonen is one that I've I've seen something of uh, when I was in Finland the last two times. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's. Um, Together with with Hoglander and Pristola, those are probably the the ones that I would target in the second round if they are there. Yeah, I'd be stunned if Hoglander is around in the second round. Um, all right, so some some names I like for the second round. Um, so yeah, agreed with every name um, Stephen just mentioned. One name that I actually thought you'd mention because he is European that you didn't is uh, Simone Holstrom. He's a winger. Uh, he played in the Super Elite League, the you know, J20 Super Elite League for HB71 system. Um, yep. He's a really talented kid who last year was regarded as someone that was probably going to be a first-round talent. But um, I believe he was one of those guys that had mono again this year. You know how every year there's like one or two of those mono guys? Oh, yeah, like, like New Year's Grin, yeah. Yeah, but Holmstrom is a guy that dropped because he, you know, with injuries or illness or whatever. But he's a very talented kid um, that I'll probably have ranked in the – upper to mid thirties um, yeah. that if he's there at 48, I'd be all about, um, and you know, he's a winger. So to Steven's point about us, maybe wanting some wingers in that range. Um, a, a guy that plays in the USHL, um, Igor Afanasev, he's a left winger. He's like big dude, six, three, 200, but skates very well for a guy, his size. 
and he plays yeah. for Muskegon in the USHL. He's a very talented player. Um, I'll, I'll probably have him again in the thirties. If he's there at 48, I'd be thrilled. Um, so let's see some other names. Uh, a guy like, uh, if we want to go with some, you know, American Canadian guys, this one kid, Jamison Reese, who's a center for Sarnia in the OHL. Um, he had a very good showing at the, you know, the recent world ju- uh, junior tournament. Um, he's a pretty talented kid that I could see being a rat, you know, legitimately available around 48. That would be a pretty good bet. Um, one kid that got no praise at all this year until very recently who um, did really well for Mooster on the WHL named Braden Tracy. He's a left winger um, who's a very gifted offensive winger. Um, he's a guy that I'd be very happy with. Um, a guy who coming into the year was much more highly touted, but then dropped a bit. Um, he's a European prospect that played in the queue is Maxime Kajkovic. Um, he's a very talented player and we've seen a lot where sometimes European players who go over and play in the CHL tend to struggle their first year in the CHL. I have to assume a lot of it's just like getting adjusted. Like, you know, when I'm 17, if I moved from the U S to Switzerland or, you know, wherever, like I'm sure that would be a hell of adjustment that would definitely impact my professional or in career. Um, so I I largely give kids a pass who struggle the first year. Yeah, and th- this is something that I brought up with Greg, and I think this was a personal conversation, not one of the podcasts, but uh, I moved to South Africa from the Netherlands when I was 22, and I know how much it affected me as a 22-year-old. Um, so I can I can imagine what it's like for these kids when they're 17 or 18 or 19 to move from Europe to North America. It's it's such a it's such an adjustment that I I think most fans don't really understand how much it impacts. Uh, uh, those players mm-hmm. and for some players it's easier to adjust than others and it's part of you know the personality but also do you get off to a hot start you know like la- uh, this season for instance Hedl had an, an amazing start in the NHL and it helps you adjust to your surroundings if things go well uh, you know if, 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 if things at your job because it is their job if things at your job go well it's much easier to adjust to to living in a in a different country and and also you know English is is their second language or sometimes even their third language, so it does affect them quite quite a bit. Yep, and then just a couple, uh, yeah, completely agree. And a couple deeper cuts where these guys they could be taken in the second round, and I'd be perfectly happy with them in the second round, but they could also be there in the third round, and I'd be thrilled with as a third round pick. Um, you have so we're talking about um, you know if we're getting Kako. Um, a player that played with him on his, um, I think he was on his line even at the, on the tournament, uh, the junior tournament was Matthias Michelli. Is that how you say his last name or Maselli? Um, sounds like an Italian name, but he's Finnish. Uh, he's a left winger. Uh, um, he's actually just played, he's playing in the USHL um, as a Finnish prospect. But uh, he's a guy that I'd be thrilled with in the third round and wouldn't be upset with at the Tampa pick in the second round. Um, Steven, you, do you have any thoughts on him? Or um, Well, I haven't, I haven't seen much of him, aside from some, some junior tournaments, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was actually expecting you to mention uh, Spiridonov. Yes, I have, I have Spiridonov in that uh, range. Yeah, he's, he's a guy who played with Dorofeyev this season. Um, and... Those two were just on fire every time they played together. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I had Spirit Donoff at 51 in my April ranks, and I'll probably have him in the similar spot uh, for June. 
Um, another guy who, again, you know, if he's in the, there in the third round, great, but I wouldn't be upset with in the second round is um, Adam Beckman, who's a center for Spokane in the WHL, who really came on towards the end of the year and has gotten some hype very recently. Um, he's a guy that I think would be good. Um, a defenseman who, Stephen, you might know a bit about him, um, who he's started to get some press recently, but he's a guy that um, I think would be a great pick at that Tampa second round pick. Uh, is, uh, do, you, do you know who I'm going to say? Is it Huff? No, it's uh, oh, Daniel okay. Misuel. I actually have no idea how to pronounce his last M I S Y U uh, L. But yeah, he plays for uh, Locomotive in uh, in the KHL. And um, he's a guy, he's pretty big. He's 6'3, um, you know, about 180. But he's very good skater, and you know he's he's not like the most physical in the world, but he uses his length superbly. Has great gap control, has a good overall game, um, you know, good in all three zones, and he's a yeah. guy that I think could, you know, in retrospect, five years from now, like you know, he'll probably go in the second, maybe third round. Could be looked at as I, you know, how did this guy drop so far? Mm. Um. And okay, I can keep so, going, but that those so are the names. I, I, let me now. let me ask let me ask you guys a quick question. So, do you think that there it's it's more likely that we're going to draft um, a lot of forwards? Then, I mean, it seem I I know you've talked before about how you think that 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 it's, especially in the first round, you've got like I think fourteen or fifteen forwards at the top of the draft and like one one defenseman. So, do you? I mean, do you think that this this will be a theme throughout the entire draft? Like when we're looking at the Rangers after everything's said and done. Look at let's say let's say they they get I don't know six players maybe they trip that they trade a couple of their picks so let's say they get six seven players do you look at it and say you know what we've got five forwards and one D man or do you think that they're because I know sometimes we, we talk about best player available or, or yeah for particular things but like you said there are tiers to sometimes you can look at like you know five guys I think they're all kind of on the same thing and maybe oh you know we kind of need this left winger more than we need this, you know, left-handed defenseman source. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, within that tier, you can, you can go for uh, team need and that's, that's perfectly fine, especially when you get to the later rounds. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure that we'll draft a goalie again because the Rangers do this every year. Um, I don't know. Jeff Gordon said he's not going to, he said that. Uh, I don't know. I think if, if, if Konovalov is available in that's the name, yes, that's the name I was going to bring up in, in the sixth or seventh round. I, I I would have I would put I would put good money on the Rangers picking him if he's there late in the draft. Oh, how do you guys how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I think it's actually good practice to take one goalie a year because goalie prospects are so fucking hard to evaluate. That's yeah. why I think everyone's batshit crazy who wants Spencer Knight in the top ten. Like listen, I I, I actually get along very well with the blue shirt banter guys. Um, Joe I love Joe Fortunato, get along with him very well. Um, and you know, they, Adam Herman and Tobias, uh, who Tobias, I get along with very, very well. Also, um, they're doing their draft ranks right now. And I know Adam put Spencer Knight sixth and I know Tobias actually hated that. Tobias told me he wouldn't take Spencer Knight in the first two rounds, but like, it's batshit crazy to have Spencer Knight at the top 10 pick just because it, like, unless you could promise me that he's going to be, you know, a guaranteed starting caliber NHL goalie for years to come. Like you can't take a goalie that high. And guess what? You can't guarantee that. Like there have been better prospects than Spencer Knight that have come along in the last 10 years who didn't do shit at the NHL level. And it, it's just goalie analysis is so hard at this level. And, and especially when you're talking about the junior play, the, the guys playing in junior leagues and for the, the U S national development program, like it's, 
you know, kind of not all of is one thing because he's playing in the KHL. So it's a little bit you got a little bit more pro information to work with. And some of these uh, goalies that are coming out of the SHL and Liga and the KHL are actually a little bit easier to analyze. Um, but like, I, I don't I, I can't get behind it. I know Adam justified it. He, he had some comment on Twitter where he doesn't think it makes sense to have a goalie ranked from like 15 to the second round because he's like if you believe in a goalie he's top 15 if you don't he's like a third rounder I'm like and but then he went on to like justify well this is again my rank and i'm not saying i take him at six but i'm ranking him at six i'm like well those two ideas are th- those are conflating ideologies like if you rank him at 40 you put him at 40 you don't yeah. you can't use both sides of the coin and be like oh this is my rank at six i wouldn't take him at six but then make the comment out of the other side of your ass that you shouldn't rank any goalie between say 15 and the second round because of you know why would you take someone in that range with the methodology of goalies so um, yeah 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 exactly and you know i agree with you getting a goalie every year is fine if you have seven or eight picks getting one goalie out of the seven or eight is fine fine. yeah because you never know what's going to happen and most of these goalies are not going to amount to anything well guess what most of the forwards and defensemen you get in the sixth or seventh round aren't going to either yeah if you're going to take a gamble on a goalie, do it in the sixth round. And a guy like Konovalev, he's he's I think he's 21. He's uh, I think he's a one year over. Is he two year over age? Uh, sorry, he's turning 21 in July. Yeah. Uh, but he played in the KHL and he had the ninth highest save percentage with nine uh, with 930. Uh, that's for for a 20 21 year old goalie. That's 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 those are really good numbers. Yeah. And and would you? If, if you would have drafted Konovalov two years ago, would you be happy to have him in your system? That is the yes. question. Yes. The would, you yes be, would you be happy to have Konovalov in your system if you've drafted him two years ago and you see he puts up a 930 save percentage in the KHL, which is the ninth best in the league? And I'll give Tobias. I'll give Tobias another shout out. Tobias has told me that, like in his mind, if he were an NHL GM, he would take it a European overage prospect playing in the pros over there you know he take one a year in you know rounds four five six seven and yep. I, I think that's a great strategy for exactly the reasons we're outlining so yeah i have you no know, problem with the rangers taking a goalie again but yeah. please just don't do it in the second round again. no 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 and th- that's the thing and and go with european overagers because the european leagues aren't scouted to death like the north american leagues the chances of finding a diamond in the rough in the in the whl in the sixth round are so much smaller because every team scouts every player uh, like 30 or 40 times. Whereas in, in the European leagues, especially when you get to like Alsvenskan in Sweden or Mestis in, in Finland, um, those sometimes you can find a player who's not, who's not scouted by, uh, who's not, you know, picked up by other teams because they just don't scout as in, with the same intensity as they do in North America. And yeah, Elias Pettersson was playing in the OHL two years ago as opposed to an Alsvenskan. He probably was the number one or number two overall pick. Probably, yes. But he played in, he played in Sweden, and he, and that, he, and he fell to fifth overall. Yeah, and, and you know, he was in, to your point, like, if he was in the SHL, maybe he would have been in that yeah. conversation with, uh, with, with Patrick and... Uh, He's here. Yeah, he's here, but you know, he was an Alsvenskan, and so people kind of question the numbers when. Yeah, yeah, Al- but uh, a- another player who played in Alsvenskan uh, is Andrzej Kopitar. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, ag- agreed it, with your point. 
So yeah. if, if you can, if you can, and, and that's, that's my question. If you are happy that Konovalev is in your system now after drafting him two years ago, then you should have no problem spending a sixth round pick on Konovalev this year. Yep, agreed. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's the same with Fagemo. Why would you risk uh, a pick on a player who might get 25 points where you can spend a pick on a player who has already done that? He's one year ahead of the curve. I have no argument. I think you guys are right. I'm going to bother. Um, little little inf- information. Um, so Scott Wheeler just tweeted out that Capo Caco is not going to be at the Combine. Well, yeah, not too busy parting his ass off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if I were him, I, if I were him, I would do the same thing because I can drink because I'm 18. I'm in Europe. I can drink. Yeah, you yeah, know, right. there's some jackass old white dude on Twitter right now yelling about how oh, the Rangers shouldn't take Kaka because he'd rather party than come over to the combine. And to that guy, I say, fuck you. Um, Capo Kako is the first player in history to win gold at the under 18s, under 20s, and the men's level before being drafted. If that's not reason enough to party your ass off, I don't know what is. Yep. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll find. You'll, listen, if, if it's one thing about Rangers Twitter, you'll find somebody angry with something all yeah. the time. All right, let's not go down that rabbit hole. We're about an hour and a half in. What were some yeah. of the last things you wanted to talk so, about? So the last thing, I think we should just get to the questions, if that's cool yeah, with you guys. You have a couple questions? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. All right, so uh, first question comes from uh, John Papa. So he says... Um, well, first I, I want to know, John Papa, is that is your name really John Papa? If so, that's awesome. Yeah, John, John Papa D, actually, that's what it is. Papa D, <laughs> nice. John Papa even D. better, even better. Sorry, get <laughs> yeah. this question. Uh, he wants to know. Just curious if you're hearing anything out of out of Europe indicating where Panarin will go. If there's any been any rumors from, I guess from from Russia or any anything you guys hear about what what Panarin's going to do. Now, I mean Panarin. What I know is that Panarin is currently partying in Florida. Um, I don't think that's necessarily an indicator that he will not sign with the Rangers because he owns a house in Florida. I tell you what, I hope he goes and parties in Sunrise, Florida, where the Florida Panthers play, because then that'll make him realize that that place fucking sucks, and there's yeah. no way he's going to play it. <laughs> Sunrise is not Miami. Sunrise fucking sucks. Yeah. I was, I was talking to someone on Twitter about this, and as a joke, I said, listen, if he was signing with the Florida Panthers, he wouldn't spend his vacation in Florida. He would go back to Russia for a vacation. Um, but <laughs> I, I just, I don't think there is any indicator of where he will sign. It's just... It's so it's so difficult to 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 figure out. It's not like John Tavares who tweeted a picture of him, you know, sleeping in Toronto Maple Leafs pajamas. Um, there are there are you, there, there's a case to be made for several teams for Panarin. Florida Panthers makes sense because Quenville is the coach there now, and they may sign Bobrovsky to replace Luongo, so there might be a package deal with with him and Panarin. Um, I, th- I think the bigger reason for him going to Florida is the fact that Flo- is, is, a, is just a tax tax bracket purpose. Yeah, but it's only that for to half me the- would sell me more than anything else. It's only for half the games anyway. Um, but I think I and I, I've, I I feel strongly about this. I feel that that if if Gordon wants to strike now, he should just trade uh, some like like a mid round pick. For Panarin's UFA rights, Neil Same. Pionk for Panarin's UFA rights. Do that, right? Uh, well, I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. But a fourth round pick uh, is is something that the Florida Panthers traded to the Rangers for um, for Keith Yandel. Oh, I think it was a sixth round pick, and then a fourth the next year when he signed the next. Yeah, 
fourth was conditional on signing. Yeah, yeah so a six-round pick and a conditional fourth for UFA rights to a player. And in Panarin's case, you know, it can actually work in his favor because he could sign an eight-year deal instead of a seven-year deal. So hmm. right. I, w- I, w- I would be all for that if, if, if the Rangers actually go that way. Uh, Drew, do you have any any information about Panarin, or or we're just still way too early? Yeah, my only thought on Panarin is I'm so sick of hearing and talking about Panarin. <laughs> Fine, fair enough. All right, let's move on. Um, so Ivan Yu says, um, let's see, what do you think um, will be the changes in Hartford now having JD being the president and uh, uh, being the Rangers? So what's what's the impact in Hartford? I guess. Well, hopefully they. S- Fucking sign actual assistant coaches for Hartford. That'd be sweet. Get a goalie coach for Hartford. That'd be a great start. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think just change, changing the winning culture in Hartford is going to be the best. That, that, is, that is the biggest, that's the most important thing about Hartford. Because I know, I know some people say Hartford's not about winning. Yes, it is. Because if a team loses all the time, then what's the point of putting your prospects on that team? And... The, the first order of business for Hartford to create a winning culture, I think, is to get some experienced guys who will not just walk away after a year. Because if you look at the blue line in Hartford, what's the average age? 21? Yeah. It's ridiculous. You yeah. cannot expect your defensive prospects or even your forward prospects. You cannot expect your prospects to develop in Hartford when your blue line, on average, is barely old enough to buy a beer. Yep, and and to go further, like when you look at the teams that have had the best AHL teams over the past few years, you look at Hershey, who Hershey Bears, Washington. Yeah, look at the Toronto the crunch, Marlies, who belonged. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, the, the Marlies, who belonged to Maple Leafs. You look at the Syracuse Crunch, who belonged to the Lightning. You look at the Charlotte Checkers, who belonged to the Hurricanes. See a fucking pattern here? Yeah, there is. There is a pattern. The I, 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 really, yeah, yeah, exactly. The Rangers just haven't figured it out yet. I don't know why, but. I mean, financially, nothing is holding them back from signing the right personnel. Yeah, it's it's just the wrong strategy. Yeah, when they need, they, yeah, they just need to invest more in it. I mean, they didn't have a goalie coach. They didn't have some basic fundamental like positional coaches that a lot of teams have. Yeah, uh, they need to. I mean, I know people are going to be sick of hearing it. They need to invest more in some of the analytical stuff that can really help at the prospect at the AHL level. Um, I know that the Rangers have used sports logic in the past, but there are a lot of companies out there that have um, great data specifically for the AHL and the junior leagues. Like Garrett Hull, who is um, a hockey, an, an old hockey grass guy, like he has a company that does a lot of this data for the minor leagues and stuff. Like invest in some of these companies to get you a lot of the additional information. Like I'm actually like I'm with Jeff Merrick and like stop calling it analytics. All analytics is is more information. You know how, what you do with it and how you digest it is what's important. Like invest in a team of people that can get this extra information and all of these minor league players to help round out your prospects because as steven said you can't just stick all your prospects down in the ahl big all right now they'll be good no they're gonna get killed because there's a lot of you know 25 30 year old guys in the ahl who this is their living and they're fighting hard every single day to try to get that one chance in the nhl and so you need to surround your prospects with actual you know you know uh, more mature talent to help round out their games and uh, some of this data and information you can get can help find some of these diamonds in the rough to round out your team and fill in the skill sets that you need to fill around your prospects with. <coughs> uh, hire the uh, evolving twins. <laughs> I love, I love yeah. Yeah, the, just the, hire, the. Hire those guys and call it a day. Luke and Josh. Yeah. They're the best. Yeah. Just, just get, just give them a job. Rangers. That's it. That's, yeah. That's, and that's, you know, that's, I, that's their job. 
And as a fan, I hope they invest in some proper camera equipment for the broadcast. Because <laughs> watching <laughs> watching Hartford bad? games brings me back to the late nineties, man. Yeah, is it that yeah. bad? It's awful. It is. It's bad. Uh, and 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 the um, the the Flyers affiliate. What is uh, is it? Uh, Lehigh Valley. Yeah, Phantom? Lehigh Valley. They have am- amazing equipment. The, their, their games are in, in, in HD. You can actually see the puck, which is nice. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it, it's clear when you look at the move, you look at the moves they've made both with the coaching staff, the training staff, and the team in AHL. Then when you look at the, you know, like the equipment they use, the game ops, stuff like that, the Rangers just haven't prioritized and invested in Hartford. And just no. Start and they should. Yeah. And they should. Yeah. Next, next question, uh, Kurt. So, um, I certainly have questions regarding the state of the rebuild and how the Rangers compare to other teams going through it or recently went through it, um, how it will stack up going forward. I uh, just can't remember them right now. Thanks a lot, Kurt. So just you, I guess you want to know about the state of the Rangers rebuild and how it um, goes against other uh, organizations. Um, I guess my take is that it's going well. I mean, look, look, where, look where the Rangers were two years ago and look where they are today. So Yeah. Um, if, if I can quickly say something about the rebuild, um, a lot of fans have, have said that Winning the second overall pick in the draft lottery accelerates the rebuild, but I disagree. I think getting a top three pick was always part of a successful rebuild. And if anything, getting the second overall pick just solidifies the rebuild. It doesn't accelerate anything. Yeah, I, I would tend to lean, lean that way. Yeah, and one thing I would say is, um, you know, to Kurt's question, you know, once you add either Kako or Hughes to the, to the system, uh, the Rangers easily, easily, easily. I mean, the, before this, the Rangers arguably had a top ten prospect line, depending on how you um, value upside versus um, NHL readiness or ability to make the NHL. Once I think they're top Kaker, three now, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, they're definitely top ten, very easily arguable top five. I, I would need to sit down and do a lot more work to definitively stay, say, top three or so. But they're among the best, you know, a handful of the best in the NHL. And, you know, if you listen to non-Rangers prospects, like, mo- like a lot of Ranger fans and our, you know, and my fellow, like, bloggers and stuff like that tend to be pretty down on the Rangers and overly critical. And I think that's just natural when your job is to, you know, analyze the stuff. Sometimes it becomes almost paralysis by over-analysis. And, like, you're just analyzing things too much that you start looking for issues as opposed to just appreciating some of the positives. And pretty much any non-ranger centric podcast i listen to they all think the rangers are doing a great job and you know that's not necessarily the end all be all and hey it's it's could they could be all wrong but generally outside of the rangers fan base like the general perception of the rangers is they are doing this right and they're doing a great job uh, like i listen to the steve dangle podcast for example um for entertainment those guys are hilarious but you know they do raise some good points and they were like glowing about the job the Rangers have been doing recently. And it's, you know, it seems like the Rangers fan base is the most negative of all fan bases other than our rivals, of course, when you're talking about, you know, how are we doing in terms of our rebuild? Um, Firstly, I think the Rangers are doing a great job. I think they're doing it right. Um, Sure, I have concerns about are they going to shoot themselves in the foot and go spend money on guys they shouldn't be spending money on this offseason, especially if oh, they I could not on agree more on that. <laughs> um, so that's a fear, but I'm not going to evaluate how I think the rebuild's gone based on things I'm afraid they might do. I'm going to evaluate it based on what they've done to this point, and I think they've done an excellent job to this point. Sure, I can squabble, you know, I can 
nitpick issue with maybe they didn't get quite the value I wanted here or there. But at the end of the day, when you look at what the team looked like two years ago, and what the prospect pipeline looked like two years ago compared to now, there's no arguing. They've done a great job and made a ton of progress. Could they have done an even better job? Sure, you can argue that. But that doesn't mean they still haven't done a very good job to this point. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that completely. And this is actually a good segue for the next question, actually. So Jeremiah asked, um, pick one for the Rangers, give two to the Islanders. I don't know why we're giving two to the Islanders. But I guess his idea That's is like, pick mean. one of these contracts for the Rangers. So it's <laughs> Carlson at $9 million for four years, Panarin at $10 million for seven years, Zuccarello at $5 million for four years. So which one of the Rangers, which one, which one of those contracts would you rather the Rangers have? I guess not Zuccarello. Yeah, not Zuccarello. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. <laughs> no, no Zuc at for four years and five million. So give me Carlson. Not give me Carlson four years and nine million, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, if it's if it's only for four years, I would go right. with Carlson over Panarin for seven. Exactly. exactly. It's you're talking. You tell me Panarin's a little bit more money and three more years. I mean, listen, I, I'd take Panarin at that deal. No questions asked. Don't get me wrong. But the Rangers have a bigger need on defense. And the issue with Carlson is, hey, how's he going to look in years, you know, four, five, six, seven of a deal? You're telling me it's only a four-year deal and it's only $9 million per? Sign yeah. me the fuck up. Yeah. yeah, do it. Do it. Not even a question. Yeah, yeah no. Okay. I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna take the opposite take. I'd rather have Panera at $10 million for seven. That's why I, I just, I, I, I just, I, I, the only thing that scares me about Carlson, and, and there's not a bigger Eric Carlson fan than I am, I do worry a little bit about his, his ankle. But, you know, four years, I mean, you know, if we have to eat, eat one well, of those years. Maybe. Four years one for, for one, nine million. Nine million. I know. I, look, I, I wanted to play the different side of it, okay? I, I one, one thing I'll say, though, too, just to dovetail off that, is uh, a lot of the injury, like the concerns that you know, the, Carlson was clearly hurt in the playoffs just now. I think people are misattributing that. It wasn't his ankle. It's his hamstring. And okay, maybe there is a significant issue with the hamstring that would require significant surgery. And then this conversation can be different. But if he was just hampered by like your typical hamstring pull, which, which does suck, or was it his hamstring or groin? Well, regardless. No, that yeah, the, the, gro the groin is what he had. I think. Yeah, sorry, the sorry, groin, groin, not hamstring. Yeah, it was, it was his groin. That was the issue. And so you give it a few months to recover. Hell, even if you can't start next season because you want to recover properly, that's fine. But, like, that's different than – it wasn't his ankle that was giving him the issues of pivoting that you saw and stuff like that. It was the groin. So when you part your groin, you have no explosiveness, uh, no ability to – you know, uh, you lose all your agility pretty much. And, and that's why Carlson looks like a turnstile at times. Once the groin's healed, I think he'll be fine. The ankle's more of a long-term year four, five, six issue. Mm. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Okay, so let, let's move on. Uh, one more, so one more question here from Larry, from Larry D. Antonio it says, um, "What would be the ideal defensive pairings coming opening night with or without acquisitions?" So, give us your defensive pairings for opening night, Drew. You know, I will go with uh, defensive pairings without acquisitions because if you go with acquisitions, you know, there's where does it end? Um, with, with the current team we have, um, I'd probably go with, um, yeah, uh, on the right side, probably, uh, D'Angelo, Fox, and, uh, Rykov. And I just, I just hope that, that they, that they trade Neil Pionk because there's, there's just no, no place for him on the team. All right. So what about the left side? Uh, the left side, Shea is still our best defenseman on the left. 
Um, Styles not going anywhere. So Shea D'Angelo is you want as your first pair? Probably, yeah. And and I think they play pretty well together. I I, I still don't think Shea is a first pair defenseman. But what are you going to do? You don't have a first pair defenseman. Someone has to play on the first yeah. pair. Yeah. Um, Style probably with Adam Fox. Um, I think that 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 could help Adam Fox having a an experienced guy next to him. Not the best defenseman, of course, on the ice, but with his experience, he still has value. Um, and then the third pairing, I would just go with Hayek and and Rykov. So you're 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 hoping to trade Shattenkirk. Then. I I I just don't see a spot for Shattenkirk on this team now that we have acquired Adam Fox and still have D'Angelo or Pion. Okay. Uh, right. Drew, what do, you, what, do you, yes. what do you think about the defensive pairings for the opening night? Sorry about that. My son was crying, so I had to mute, put my phone That's totally there. fine. We, um, that's exactly what I figured. Yeah, so I, I, I'll say that it's, I don't like playing this game. Like, I, I respect the question. I just I, I think fans honestly overrate the importance of this stuff when they're analyzing coaching ability. Like, when you go on Twitter, it seems like all fans look at when they're trying to analyze a coach is, like, how good are they at making, like, the pairings or the lines? And, and that's always been a thing that's bugged me. Um, but I, I disagree about the Shattenkirk point. I, I do think Shattenkirk's still a good player. Um, and I think people are overly critical of him. Like, sure, maybe his contract doesn't look great. And but compared to, like, expectations, he hasn't been great. But I still think he's a perfectly fine player. When you look at the data, he's... He's been, you know, quite good, especially relative to teammates, which obviously is a very low bar to uh, pass. But I mean, I don't, I don't know what my ideal pair. There are no ideal pairings because the Rangers' defense is dog shit. Still, it's gonna suck, and it's gonna be a combination of shitty veterans and prospects that you hope develop properly. And so, really, my ideal pairings are whatever puts the younger kids in position to develop properly. Um, if that means sticking stall next to one of them in a sheltered role, you know, fine. If that means, um, you know, putting them on the top pair and taking the throw them the deep end and hope he swims approach, fine. Uh, the only thing I'll say is just like enough of this bullshit with people analyzing development practices like there's one size fits all approach to everyone. No, there's not. Everyone develops quite differently. Anyone that's ever had any sort of managerial role and was worth you know, anything at that role knows that people learn differently. People learn at different speeds. Some people, you throw them in the deep end and they swim. Some people sink like a fucking rock. Um, some people, you need to over-season, over-ripen, whatever cliche you want to use. Some people, you need to just throw to the wolves because that's how they succeed. And so... Ideally, the coaching staff will figure out how each of these players needs to develop properly, put them in that situation, custom to them. Um, I think I think my hot take for the defensive pairings. I mean, I'm I'm kind of on board with Drew. I, I, this defense is so bad that I don't even I can't even think about like long term pairings and what it's going to look yeah. like overnight. night. Yeah, I I think one of Pionk or D'Angelo is gone this year in, in a trade. I think and that's I, pretty possible. I think it's D'Angelo. And I could I could see that just based on the Rangers evaluating character so much, and maybe they're frustrated with him and his. Well, and that is the bit. thing that that is the thing that Drew just mentioned. I, I, I have I work in a management. I have a management role where I work. I have 19 people report to me. Um, 
I know how much in, in a normal office people value character over actual ability. And I've compared Pionk and D'Angelo to like normal office workers where, you know, Pionk is the guy that gets along with, with everyone. You know, he might not be the best at what he does. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really uh, work on projects the way you want him to, but everyone gets along with him, so he gets a pass. Whereas D'Angelo, without, without any effort, gets everything done. He hits every deadline, but he's a bit cocky about it. He has a cocky attitude and... And that just, he doesn't get along with everyone. Which person will the manager keep if he has to fire one? And I think there's a similar situation uh, with the Rangers because that's how, I, I feel at least, that that is how they look at it. You know, on ice performance is not every, it's not all that matters. I'll say this, I agree, but I think that there is, if you're analyzing it properly, there's a fucking chasm of a performance difference between the two. Tony yes. D'Angelo was a legitimate NHL defenseman last year and did quite well and actually was one of the best defensemen in the entire NHL in transition and very good offensively. Literally, the only thing Neil Pion can do is pass the puck to a guy who scores by hook or by crook. In essence, literally the only positive thing you can say about Neil Pionk last year when you look at his game is he racked up assists. He didn't do shit else good. He was. All, I don't understand how so many eye testers like Neil Pionk. Like, I understand being, you know, if you're grumpy and you don't like the analytics folks and us throwing out a lot of the data showing that Pionk wasn't good, but how in your right mind could you have watched that kid play last year and thought he did well? Oh, I thought he was, I thought he was absolutely fucking garbage last year. Like, if if you want to say, hey, he's still young, I want him to develop, that's fine. Um, You know, but don't tell me he did well last year. He fucking sucked last year. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, us fans, we, we are not that close to them on a personal level. So we look at it from a different point of view. You know, no, we, no. Have, we have different expectations. And I think one of the things, and I, I, I hate bringing this up, and I don't want this to, you know, turn into a whole debate, but I do think one of the issues with D'Angelo for certain fans are his political beliefs. Oh, it is, yeah. And well, I'll... I'll, I'll... I, I want to say, like, I agreed with, like, I completely agree with your take about, like, yeah, the character stuff matters and the managerial staff will take that in consideration. My only point was, I think, like, the performance of the two was so different that even when you consider character, it still shouldn't be close. And it still should be D'Angelo over Pionk, even considering all of the positive character traits of Pionk and negative ones of D'Angelo. Um, but that's just my take. Um, my. Yeah route for trading D'Angelo would be you could just if you could get a lot more for him in a trade than Pionk, then cool, trade him. But if the trade value of the two is equivalent, like, oh my God, I'm trading Pionk all day, every day over D'Angelo. Yeah, and, and I hope I'm wrong. But I just think that certain things matter more than all nice performance. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder a little bit what, you know, we're just kind of spitballing now. I wonder what, what Pionk and D'Angelo's value is to other GMs at the moment. And granted, there are some GMs out there that you know, might view Pionk a little bit better than, than D'Angelo simply because they're going to look at D'Angelo and they're going to see it. They, they'll see the scale, but they might be like, eh, do I really want that guy in my clubhouse? I really want to deal with the bullshit. And he's that's, already on his third complete, NHL team. Yeah, they're, 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 look, there are GMs that are going to they're gonna look at it that way. So I don't think it's completely impossible that when, that when we think about this, we say, well, sure, yeah, D, P, there's no question that D'Angelo was a better player last year. And I don't care what, what, what tools are you looking at. He would... You know, I, I really get mad about this, but Neil Pionk was fucking awful last year. He was really fucking bad. 
so I don't understand where you're talking about from a from a performance yeah. standpoint. But if yeah. you're talking you, about maybe other GMs might be hesitant to take D'Angelo simply because of all the other issues. I can understand that. And there might be a GM that's going to look at Pionk and think, he's a good little soldier, let me take him. And he might have more value. I don't know. But I just hope the Rangers just, just do the, the prudent thing, which maybe I'm hoping for them the best. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, so let, let, last question um, is from, this, from Lindsay. Oh, I saw this question. Uh, this question's kind of crazy, but I'm going to throw it out there. How much do you care about NHL is doing cocaine? <laughs> oh, what a question. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I'm not getting into, um, you know I, I don't care at all. The answer, I don't care in the least. You tell me a bunch of multi-million dollar white dudes like cocaine. Boy, that's really breaking news, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming this is like the Kuznetsov thing. Cause he, yes, it is. Yeah. He failed the drug test for it? No. No, no. we just, okay. So I was going to, I knew, like I saw he was, he was tied to cocaine. I wasn't sure how. What I would say I think is he this. was just he was, he, he was at a party and it was there. Uh, who cares? Don't give a shit. Don't couldn't care less. Literally couldn't care less. The one thing I would say is I would care if you failed a drug test for cocaine. And it's not because you did cocaine. It's because you were stupid enough to get caught. Cocaine's only in your system for a few days. And my understanding is most players have a pretty good understanding of when their drug tests are coming. The agents do a good job of finding them out and tipping people off. It's no secret the NHL doesn't have the most stringent drug testing policy out there. So if you fail a drug test for cocaine, that just means you're a fucking idiot. And yep. so I have no problem with the cocaine. You do you. You do your best life. As long as it's not impacting your performance, I don't really care. It just you fail the stupid test it is if you fail a drug test for cocaine. Yeah, you're, if you fail, you're just an idiot. That's just what it is. Yeah, yeah and I will say one thing about because I saw the video. Um, in the video, he's not actually using cocaine. So, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more hesitant when, when it comes to forming conclusions. Because I have been to parties where some people do cocaine and I've seen cocaine on like a coffee table. I've never done cocaine. Just because it's in the room with you doesn't mean you are, you are using it. People jump to conclusions too quickly these days. And yeah, I agree. If he would have failed his drug test, that's a different issue. But even if he did cocaine, if he did cocaine and, you know, he's not caught during a drug test and it doesn't affect his, his career, then why, why would I have a problem with it? Yeah, I completely agree. I really don't give two shits either way. Um, if anybody who knows me well knows how I feel about, you know, marijuana issues in this fucking country and 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 even drug issues in general look i, I don't really care i do, do what you want to do yeah the only question i have is does cocaine uh, enhance your performance if the, um, answer, if the answer is no then then why why are we even having this discussion i don't know ask, ask the 1986 new york mets i don't know or the 1996 juventus football team Oh, but I, I, we're, we're, we're getting off topic here. That's yeah, year. we are. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, that is totally fine. So um, close, closing thoughts here for you, Drew? Or closing thoughts for you here, Steve? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a pretty long show, to be honest. It's almost two yes, hours. But, you know, uh, we, we, have, we haven't had a new episode in over a week, so I think people, uh, people actually like to listen to us for two hours today. Um, yeah, Greg, sorry I, about that. It's yeah, uh, I, I actually like discussing all the prospects uh, with Drew. Um, he's probably the second biggest Dorothea fan in the world. Um, 
Mine might be the second biggest, but I'm the smartest, so. <laughs> oh. Declan agrees. Oh, I, 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 I set that up perfectly. So, uh, uh, yeah, so for you, Drew, any, any, any closing thoughts on uh, the draft coming up and maybe even like a, a prediction, maybe some, something out of the box that you might think might happen or just, you know, any closing thoughts in general? <laughs> yeah, um, my only thing is just people just chill the fuck out this year. The overreaction last year with all the draft was absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, and it was like a snowball effect where people got angrier and angrier with every pick because their guy wasn't taken. Like, people were freaking out about the Ragnarsson, the Keen picks, and guess what? Those all ended up, yeah, in my opinion, I was happy with both, and I still think I'm the one that looks right for being happy with both. But, yep. you know, it's just, just relax with the goddamn draft. Like, if your guy doesn't get picked, it doesn't mean it was a bad pick. Um like just just take it easy enjoy it like the amount of vitriol i saw last year over the draft was like it was pathetic really yeah um, i'll leave yeah. it go as far i'm sorry i was just gonna say like it, it's it's perfectly fine like be a fan the way you want to be a fan you know have fun enjoy it but like enough with these like just immediately assuming everything is bad like sit back enjoy we'll get hopefully or hughes at two and you know, a pretty good player on yeah, yeah, and you'll still get a very good player at 20. And you know what? And hopefully they find a couple diamonds in the rough in the mid-rounds, which I think they did last year. And so, uh, like I said, my, my view is just have fun and, you know, let's go Rangers. Yeah, I'm, I'm and, down with and, that. And the draft is in three weeks, I think? Yep. Yep. Um, one, one quick thing I wanted to mention is that I'll actually be at the draft. Um, I managed to get tickets. Don't ask me how. It was a nightmare. Um but I'll be flying from Vienna to Vancouver in three weeks. Be there at the draft. I'll be wearing my uh, TPS Capo Caco jersey. So if any of our listeners no- notice me at the draft, come say hi and we'll have a beer. Um, I'm going to be hoping that, that that New Jersey takes Caco just because I want to see hear Steve's reaction in the back. Oh, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just for the fun of it. But just to, just to piggyback off of all, I can't, I can't tell you how many, like, you know, uh, Ranger fans on Twitter and social media that I've chatted with who are actually upset that the that, that New Jersey might take Capital Cac on. We have to settle for Jack Hughes and is he going to be good enough? And get the fuck out of my face with all that bullshit. If you really believe that, just, you know, take your computer, throw it out the fucking window, and I'll see you when, when Hughes is actually on the team. I will, I, will, I will go one step further and I'll say that Kako will go second overall because it's almost poetic. Because one of my Finnish followers told me earlier this week that the Finnish uh, word for second overall is kako sexy. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. Well, and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say one thing before we go. I think at the draft, I think, um, I think Chris Kreider is getting traded. That's my hot take for the, for the summer. I'm not getting, you can go down this rabbit hole now. We're two hours in, but that's. That's a weird take. Okay. Yeah, I, I like saying weird things. <laughs> All right. Th- thanks, Drew. Thank you for coming on. Plug your stuff before you go so everybody knows where to find you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm at, at Drew's underscore way on Twitter. So D-R-E-W-S underscore W-A-Y. I write I do analytics and prospect analysis for Blue Shirts Breakaway. Um, Ryan and Greg did a Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast. They're great. Check them out. Cool.
Yeah, and uh, thanks for having your son on uh, a couple of times. It was uh, <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, he took it, it, it was one of my favorite moments as well. You know, it's uh, it's, it's it's nice to have one of our young uh, one of our young fans interacting with us during a podcast. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks All right. a lot, guys, and we'll be talking soon. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. All no right, problem. Bye. Bye.